0: (gasps) Wow, sorry, 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 Uh, my apology, something like that.
1: That's cute. (laughs) Welcome to Mosaic of China, a podcast about people who are making their mark in China. I'm your host, Oscar Fuchs. Sometimes in this show, I like to do a deep dive into a profession that most of us don't really know about. A good example was the last episode with Frank Abel where we learnt about the life of a stuntman in China. But we've had lots of episodes like that, from gin distilling, to video game designing, to robot making. Today's episode is with Kim Yong-Ah, who works in sportswear at Adidas. And all of us know sportswear, all of us know Adidas. But do we know what it means to work in merchandising? Personally, I've been hearing this word for years, and whenever it comes up I just nod knowingly. Because, yeah, I understand this word. It means selling. Merchandisers work in selling, right? Well, it turns out that there's a lot to learn from this complex world. A world of wholesalers and franchises and multi-brand stores and fashion malls and segmentation, distribution, inventory, and so on and so on. So here's the episode on merchandising. Thank you very much for coming, Yong-Ah. Oh,
0: thank you for inviting me. It's great to see
1: you. We actually have <laughs> a third guest in the room today. Can you introduce who else is in the room with us?
0: P-P-P, uh P-I-P-P-I.
1: P-I-P-P-I. Uh,
0: yeah. Pipi is now uh, with me for three years. She's a rescue dog. I think she's almost uh, nine years old. We don't know actually. I I took it from uh, long Longstocking, ah okay, which was kind of hero <laughs> to me when I was young, like very brave, nice. determined, and always very positive. So. I thought she has a life like Pipi, Longstocking, stucking Pipi.
1: And she's nice and calm. It reminds me, there was one other episode I've recorded where we had a dog in the studio. Yeah. That was with Lexi Comstock. Just having Pipi here, it's yeah. a nice connection back yeah. to season one. But yeah, she's beautiful. Yeah. Let's hope that we won't hear her. She's certainly quiet now. But if we do hear a little pitter-patter <laughs> on the wooden floors, that's Pipi. That's not yong uh. <laughs> Yeah. We're doing this in my home. We, we might hear some outside noises. So let's get started. How would you in one sentence describe what you do here in China?
0: I'm a merchandiser mm. for stores, for branding campaign, for e-commerce channel and then own retail channel. Always working in the multinational sports and fashion brand like Nike and Adidas and also Fila and Gap. Nike, and Crocs. Adidas,
1: yeah. Fila, and Gap.
0: And Crocs. And Crocs. <laughs> Five big companies, yeah.
1: Great. Well, you are right now at Adidas, but you're not here talking in an official capacity for Adidas, right? Yes, yes. Good. So before we get into that, what object did you bring that in some way describes your life in China?
0: So this is the phone carrier. It's so uh, dirty because <laughs> <laughs> every day I wear It's something like, you know, part of my body. because I'm mom of two girls Mm -hmm. and they're also working very hard in the big company. That's why I really always try to think about efficiency in life Mm. and then the mobility. Go everywhere and then pay everything. At the same time, having conference calls through the phone, living in a virtual life, especially for the multinational company.
1: Yeah, everyone, of course, around the world can relate to what you're talking about. But in China, especially, we are so dependent on our phones. So let's go straight into your life at Adidas and your previous four or five brands. Tell me about what would be the main thing that you do.
0: Yeah, main thing is merchandising. Merchandising is plan the product launch, creating the product collection, planning the holistic assortment for the season launch to cover the entire marketplace. I need to think about what is the business goal achieving revenue. Then I need to translate what is the optimized size of the product range at the same time, how much we need to sell. Also, we need to maintain the right size of the inventory at the same time. Mm. So a lot of complexity, but I've been doing this for more than 20 years. So it's quite natural for me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you have to deal with the supply chain. You have to deal with finance. You have to deal with marketing. Ma- everything. Every part. And every you, part yeah. Yes. And is yeah. that the same role in every company?
0: Yes. Product is the thing, right? Product represents a brand. Product represents the consumer needs. Mm. And product represent the manifesto for the brand, what they want to drive.
1: Let's take it from the beginning then. Let's say it's Adidas. It could be any company, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Adidas has these new products that they are trying to push across the world this season. Yeah. So you see the global products and then you decide which of them will come to the China market. Is that a simple way of putting it?
0: Yeah. I think there's 60-70% of our range. At the same time, Mm -hmm. I also work together with the creation team in Shanghai as well.
1: That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. So there are combinations. This kind of multinational company always allows room to drive the brand at the same time, drive the local needs.
1: Mm -hmm. So when you are deciding the range, you are Mm. also deciding the quantities of the range as well.
0: The forecast always comes in first. And then we get the feedback from our customer, which is wholesaler asking them how much they are actually interested. Mm. Then we need to talk with the supply chain team. Then supply chain team will talk to the factory and forecast the production capability. This is material you need to pre-book or something like that. There's a lot of rounds we are going through. So one
1: little tweak in one part will then have a knock-on effect with the manufacturing, with the supply chain, everything else. And I can see why it's quite useful that you can use your wholesalers as a bit of market research before you really launch to the public. Like how much of your product is sold through the wholesalers and how much is sold directly?
0: I think that's a bit uh, tricky to share. Yeah. Uh, It's about the company's portfolio.
1: Yeah, right. So
0: some of the company, uh, I wouldn't say specific brand, but some company, they really want to start from scratch and then drive the business. But the big scale of uh, Nike and Adidas is impossible, right. you know. But still, uh, we need to have flagship stores.
1: Right. And those are the ones where you have control over the entire story.
0: Yes. But from consumer's eyes, especially in China, they don't really see who owns who. No. Because franchise stores have mono-brand signboards. <laughs>
1: Me as a customer, I don't know if I'm walking into yeah. a franchise store or a flagship yeah. store. Yeah, and
0: then we give the support and they will manage the same level of the experience and also the execution
1: as uh, the own stores.
0: Hmm. But then
1: when you think about the franchisees, you're also including the franchisees who stock not just one brand, right? They could stock Adidas, they could stock Nike, they can stock all the other sports brands in one store, right? That's the multi-brand
0: stores, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah.
1: Presumably, that is where you have the least control over the story, Right.
0: Might be, but some of the multi-brand companies, they have a business strategy to grow together with these key partners, which is brand, building some kind of long-term plan together. Well,
1: because they have Mm. as much scale as you do, these big multi-brand shops.
0: Their voice is quite strong.
1: So in those cases then, how much interface do you have with the multi-brands?
0: In Korea, I had a lot of chance to have a conversation with these multi-brand owners and then also the team, because in Korea, the multi-brand business was really booming. But in China, multi-brand is quite small. Uh, So that's why I don't have much chances to connect them. So that's the one of the big difference. Outside of China, most of Mature Market has a really a big portion of this uh, multi-brand business.
1: Me, as someone who is not very fashion-focused, I don't really have much loyalty either. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm a terrible consumer. That's the kind of place that I would definitely go to. Yeah, yeah. But you're saying that in the context of China not being a mature market, is that the difference?
0: No, I, I wouldn't say that it's not being a mature market. I don't know. There is no any clear answer. The consumer, whether they want to see the every brand's full range in each brand stores, I don't think so. It's more about the landlord, this giant landlord. In order to make their fashion mall to be more inspiring, they need the one-store consumer
1: journey. Because what you're saying is, if you have a multi-brand store in one of these big fashion malls, it doesn't feel special enough, right? Yeah.
0: Maybe also China is like a giant opportunity in terms of the territory perspective every brand doesn't need to be really squeezed into the multi-brand store. Mm. That's what I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. In your current role, you're looking after just one line of clothing, right?
0: I'm doing a category merchandising role, which is actually women's sports performance uh, apparel in Adidas and um, Adidas by Stella McCartney line. Yeah. Right. Current role is really front-end. I plan the segmentation distribution in advance. For example, I have a 100 different product. Out of 100 product, 20 product must go to hype drop. Hype drop? Hype drop. Like, you know, this is really, really special. Special. We want to control supply so that we maintain high level of desire. And Ah. I want to drive the desire. Ah. So I make a decision and then control which stores can sell this one, which stores drive this one. When we put together, then ah, we don't have any kind of a missing opportunity. Right Where is the right place to launch in right time?
1: <laughs> because
0: right. not every place is the right place. Not every time is the right time. And then I need to understand holistic marketplace. Always uh, we talk to customers and sometimes they think, I want that one. And then we need to think about why do you need this one? Because
1: what you're saying is the franchisees, they have an understanding about what they think will sell in their store. So they can sometimes push back on you. Sometimes
0: want it. <laughs> yeah.
1: Just want it, right? <laughs> yeah,
0: mm-hmm. e- either
1: way. That's a tricky relationship to actually manage then because you have to withhold from certain people and give to maybe their competing franchise. Endless
0: negotiation. Endless Mm. negotiation. Especially, you know, the category is going well. Then it's positive negotiation. You Uh know, everybody wants. Oh, but if it's not going
1: well, oh gosh.
0: Then everybody pushing back.
1: They don't want it in their store. Of course. Wow.
0: We need to respect that they also run the business and make it profit. Because yes. each franchisee mm. Mm.
1: is its own business. Yes. They have their yeah. own profit and yes. loss. When has something really gone wrong? Like when could you not negotiate your way out of something? And of course, don't mm. tell me which brand this was. This could be any of the brands you've worked in.
0: We have uh, some product. We believe that in long term, this is going to be our strategic focus because we believe that if we put the effort and investment, something create the future. Yes. But in between, customer they only see the short-term profit mm. because they have a everyday PL responsibility. So that somehow they think
1: they haven't uh, got the luxury to think long-term. Right? Exactly. Yes,
0: it's a common thing. We think in five years, three years, it's gonna be the demand creation, but it doesn't show. Yeah, it is the big negotiation part. If that is not really, really uh, important for the future, of course, brand will not push. So no need to negotiate. But we feel that this is for the longevity of our brand. Then there is a time frame customer cannot see yet, but the brand and the company see the future.
1: Mm. And when yeah. you say customer, you mean the franchisee, right? In this yes, situation. Yes, yes, This is where I imagine you need to educate the market.
0: At the same time. Yeah. And right. this is a
1: function of how successful the marketing for that product will be. Totally, and if the marketing yeah. misses... Mm. then you won't capture the audience that you expected. and It's really
0: well said, yeah. Right?
1: And that side is so unpredictable. Even though you're marketing experts, I'm sure sometimes you just miss, right? Mm -hmm. The guys at Global, they have an idea about what they want to push. But I imagine here in China...
0: China has power. But Korea is quite strategically important market. That's why I could come to China. Yeah. So regardless of the size... Korea had uh, some kind of uh, support.
1: So when you're trying to find the mix between the products that come from Global and the products that you have innovated here in the market, let's say China, how can you make it cohesive? Because the things coming out of China might actually be very different to what Global is trying to push down, right?
0: I think uh, once you have a three-strive, you know, the Adidas branding logo and the Nike swoosh, then would not look very different. Right. So this branding logo is very, very important in terms of uh, consistency.
1: Right. That's what creates the cohesion. <laughs> yeah, right?
0: and then the creation center, they always follow guidelines. Yeah. So that prevents awkward situation. But at the same time, if you make it too much identical, then there is no reason to we have a creation center in Shanghai. Yeah. That's why <laughs> we always think about what is the consumer needs here, which is different versus the international market.
1: Yeah. This is where I can see another really complicated conflict that you have to work with, which is (laughs) you've got this global brand. That's half the reason people walk into your store. They know your brand. At the same time, the Chinese, they are becoming more proud of their own very specific fashion. So how can you then, as a global brand, compete with Mm. these competing Chinese brands?
0: Yeah, that's a very relevant question. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And very sharp yeah, I think in the past, uh, Nike and Adidas and uh, all these international brands actually had a really um, great time. But since COVID, 2020 was very uh, tough. And then uh, 2021 brought difficult time for us. The thing is, um, it gives international brand to look back what is the thing we need to push through to maintain the position we had before. This actually gave us a great reflection. Externally, the Chinese consumer could get a chance to open their eyes and look around what local brand had offering good product and exciting novelty in terms of a concept in terms of silhouette. You know, the local brand were ready and snapped the chance and then drive through until now. Mm. So, we are now uh, looking at how they uh, succeeded and continuing this competition. Right. And the uh, common thing we found out, actually, they are really providing unique selling point. Which is? Which is either a little bit more bold design oh. or their own character, like, you know, the jungle leaning. And then the product price is also the very upper level. The consumer is reasonable. They are very uh, smart consumers nowadays, in especially the young generation. So you know there is no reason they hesitate to not to buy try on right yeah. so
1: they are also quite adventurous right they don't mind taking some risks they don't mind switching brands much more so than people in more mature markets right
0: totally yeah yeah more um, exploring uh, different opportunity which given to them so they are really uh, focused on the what is the benefit i can enjoy yes. you know and then the, the other one is about how frequently we updating novelty.
1: Well, that's yeah. the issue, mm. isn't it? Because it's not just about being creative, it's about how quickly you have to churn out new things. I can walk past the same shop, mm-hmm. a Chinese brand, for example, and they've changed the window display every month.
0: <laughs> every month. I'm like, what do We hell? do, we do, we do every you month. You do that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ah. But I think uh, maybe this Chinese brand, the degree of the change is much more noticeable, uh-huh. maybe, yeah. But here is the thing, you know, you need to be yourself. Mm. Why I love Adidas, first I ask to myself. It's really a long history. This will not go away.
1: That's the heritage of the brand, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. And
0: that's the authenticity. Yeah. And this is the one I need to focus on even more harder yes. now. Yes, Keep on trying to make this authentic brand still stay young from product perspective. yes. Yeah.
1: And I wonder how many of these very competitive and very unique brands will last as long as a brand like Adidas. It's, it's very hard to know whether they will start to create this heritage themselves or if they will evaporate very quickly.
0: Totally. Leaning is really doing good.
1: Ah, leaning, right. Mm. Mm. Because
0: leaning had a kind of past history as an inspiring brand. And they use it. Right. And they move the Chinese heart. I'm also very inspired how they do this is the identity Jungolining Leaning will push forward next 10 years. Mm.
1: Yeah. Is there a Korean brand that's also like that?
0: There is one brand which is Style Nanda. Mm. They start to really set their identity smartly. And then they expanded their business portfolio to cosmetic as well.
1: Oh, right. We've talked a little bit about Korea in this chat. Of course, you're from Korea. Mm -hmm. Maybe now we should end this part of the conversation just by talking about the differences between your life in Korea versus here. And how did you end up here in China? What is that story?
0: Oh, I was working in Nike, Korea. I was in some project helping China. And then in the middle of a project, suddenly I got an offer <laughs> to come. And then uh, I was a little bit like, okay, maybe after one year, I will come back to Korea, which is 10 years ago. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs>
1: and this is where you met your husband. This is where you had your children.
0: Exactly. It is very positive impact in my life. I wasn't unhappy, but in the end, I was a bit bored or there wasn't really a great opportunity for me to develop my career actively. But now in China, the company really pushed me. You can do it. We believe that you can do it and then fix it and then you will create, you will enjoy. So the company really encouraged me to explore. Also that I look similar to Chinese. Oh. They speak straight in Chinese without checking or something. I don't want to really uh, make them embarrassed, so I just uh, pretend to, um, <laughs> I understand. And then I said, sorry, this part I really cannot understand. Can you explain in English? oh, Wow. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, My apology. Something like that. That's cute. I like it. Like, I like uh, people think me as a Chinese. Yeah. I really, really enjoy. Sometimes I ask, which part of China do you think I come from? And then Shandong. Right, right, right. Yeah, which actually makes sense because it's very close to Korea. Yeah. (laughs) So, okay, okay. Makes sense.
1: Thank you very much for that. And thanks uh, for your time today. We will move on to part two.
0: Already? I didn't feel the time passed. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you. I really enjoyed.
1: So the 10 questions. Okay. Question one, which comes mm-hmm. from Shanghai Daily. What is your favorite China-related fact?
0: Yeah, I think this is related to my object. Just the one phone makes me so mobile in Korea. Still, I need to carry some of the card.
1: Yes, that's right. I'm having a flashback to when I last was in London. My family have a house which is, I think, about 20 minutes from the local metro station, the underground. And I remember walking all the way from the house to the metro station and then realizing, oh, I only have my phone. I I can't pay for the metro.
0: You totally forget it's not China.
1: Exactly. <laughs> and I had to go all the way back. And it's a bloody steep hill yeah, yeah. to get back to this house. Yeah. yeah. All right. Next question, which comes from Rosetta Stone. Do you have a favorite word or phrase in Chinese?
0: Xiaojie and <laughs> Mei Nui. Right. <laughs> Xiaojie means little big sister. And then uh, Mei Nui is a beautiful lady. So like if they don't know my name, Especially, you know, downstairs there is an old lady always sitting when we go to the bus station for drop of the kids, She is always mei-ni, mei-ni. <laughs> like, like, uh, good morning. It's so nice and kind. I can feel that I have a presence.
1: Yes. It's a feeling that you belong to the community, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Next question, which comes from Naked Retreats. What is your favorite destination within China?
0: Holumbar.
1: Holumbar.
0: Yeah. Inner Mongolia prairie. Okay. Up north. Even uh, higher than Harbin. So very, very cool. Really up north. Top of the northern part of China border. When you step into this uh, prairie, you feel like suddenly turning off the noise. Yeah. And I felt, oh, yeah, this is heaven. First time I didn't go with my husband. But the second time, My husband was like, this is even better than you explained. Isn't it so beautiful? That is great. Yeah, it's really amazing place.
1: Thanks so much. (laughs) Next, if you left China, what would you miss the most and what would you miss the least?
0: I will miss constant curiosity. The local people always ask about, where are you from? How much do you make? (laughs) How much do you pay for lentil? In the beginning, sometimes it's embarrassing, but I've lived long enough not to be embarrassed. And then I see the true intention, they are just curious and they are just kind. If I miss Bibi, because she ran somewhere, then they will look for together. Oh. You know, always willing to give help. Yeah. And they're always easygoing, warm and nice. That's why I feel... At home. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And what would you miss the least?
0: Um, traffic. <laughs> the traffic itself is fine. Mm. But the rule, oh. you know, the crossroad.
1: <laughs> they don't
0: care about the pedestrian green light. This one, I will not miss.
1: (laughs) Okay, I have to agree with you here. This is funny. The thing about turning right here on a red light is that they don't look. I know you can turn right, but can you do it slowly and just keep looking in case there is a pedestrian, right? Yes. They don't do that. They just go as fast as though it was a green light. (laughs) And next question, which comes from Smart Shanghai. Where is your favorite place to go out to eat or drink or just hang out?
0: Ah, <laughs> Fujian and Dumpling Soup Place in Yongkang Okay. Okay. Epic Place. Really? Yeah. These owners, uh, they know us. Ah. So they are always very kind and we talked a lot. They have been there seven years.
1: Oh, right. Yeah. In Shanghai terms, that is eternity because nothing lasts long in Shanghai. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Good. Next question. What is the best or worst purchase you've made in China?
0: Last purchase is the suit jacket, very trendy, made by my friend. Whatever she makes, it's perfect balance. <laughs>
1: I will ask you for a photo later.
0: Yes, yes. Next question,
1: what is your go-to song to sing at KTV?
0: Oh, I always sing uh, Gangnam Style.
1: <laughs> oh, gosh. Because you can say everything in Korean, right?
0: (laughs) So I'm in the outstanding position. Fair enough. (laughs) Just because of the language.
1: That's actually a good choice. Yeah.
0: Yeah. They really enjoy to see me sing and dancing. You do the dances. Of course, without dancing, then you better not to sing uh, Gangnam Style. No way. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then Chinese song is uh, Xin Bu Liao Ching. Okay. It's a very old uh, song from a movie in uh, Hong Kong, like a long time ago. Somehow, I just fell in love with this song. And then I actually write down this song lyric and then understand what it means. And then I practice myself. And (laughs) I really, really go to KTV to practice the song. Yes. And then sing together. It's just so beautiful. Oh,
1: I'm going to have to check it out. What's it called again?
0: (laughs) Shimbul liao Ching.
1: And finally, what or who is your biggest source of inspiration in China?
0: Um, authenticity. Mm-hmm. And then the honesty and then passions really moved me a lot. The people who have this passion, for example, they really think about the reason and then analyze deeply and then try to share with me what they believe. This whole conversation moved me a lot. There is no any certain benefit. He or she has to do this. And then uh, I got a, some kind of very great idea.
1: That makes mm-hmm. sense. And I can also see how that ties in with your story from the beginning. Because we're talking about the way that you have worked with brands. You have to innovate, but you have to always be authentic. So yes. <laughs> it's a good way to end our conversation. Thank you so much, Yongha. <laughs> Thank you. Before you leave, let me ask you, who do you recommend that I interview in the next season of Mosaic of China?
0: I would introduce Baz Reitering. He's producing a lot of interesting films. Any people who has authenticity really inspire me. He is one of the things, and then he really put his value into the world. So I think he might be interesting guest for you. you Beautiful. Yeah.
1: What question would you ask Baz for the beginning of my interview with him next season?
0: What is the most proud thing he has done in China? Mm.
1: Thank you again, Yong-Ah.
0: Thank you, I really enjoyed
1: And that's all from Yong-Ah. It was a relatively short episode this week, so if you're still in the mood to hear more about the business of fashion, be sure to listen back to the episode with Casey Hall from Season 2, Episode 22, who was a China journalist from the magazine called Business of Fashion. And if you're still a bit confused about the difference between customers and consumers, Then I recommend you listen to the catch-up chat with Jorge Aluzio, who works in marketing at Coca-Cola, which can be found at the end of the interview with Siri Nordheim from Season 3, Episode 4. And finally, Yong Ah is the first guest on Mosaic of China who comes from Korea. But if you'd like to hear another episode with a Korea connection, check out the show with the New Zealand diplomat Tom Barker from Season 1, Episode 25 who discusses his life in Korea before coming to China. The big update from Yong-Ah since we recorded this episode is that she has been promoted to a global VP merchandising role at Adidas. So after a decade in China, she is now based in Germany, along with her husband and family. But as for the other guest, who was silent during the interview except for the sound of her claws on the wooden flooring, Pee Pee is still in Shanghai living with friends of the family. So Yong-A expects that she will be coming for regular visits to meet up with Pee now that travel has become a lot easier. Mosaic of China is me, Oscar Fuchs, with artwork by Denny Newell. After the music, there's a short catch up with the person who referred Yong-A to the mosaic, the architect Wendy Saunders from season two, episode 12. And I'll see you back here next time. hello hello (laughs) the last time i saw your face was when i bumped into you in shanghai as we were both officially stroke unofficially allowed out of our compounds (laughs) yeah i know (laughs) and where do i find you today
2: yeah i'm in uh, antwerp actually
1: and antwerp of course because you were born in belgium you are half english Uh, You worked in Amsterdam (laughs) before you came to Shanghai. So Antwerp is what for you? Is it where your family still lives?
2: No, actually not. But it's kind of in between where I'm from and where my partner's from, actually. So, I mean, I'm looking forward to going back also, but it's also been really very refreshing. Yeah.
1: Well, for anyone who didn't hear your original episode, I should introduce you. You are a co-founder of the architectural company AIM Architecture. Mm -hmm. So you've been doing architecture in Shanghai, gosh, how many years is it now?
2: Mm, That's 16 now.
1: 16. And for people who are in Shanghai, one of the most noticeable things that you've done is with your partnership with the Harmei brand. I keep seeing more things pop up. This is an online retail brand, and you were tasked to help design their offline physical presence. Tell me, how has your partnership with Harmay continued over the last 18 months?
2: Well, I think we've been lucky with that partnership. I mean, they're always trying to push the boundary of their presence. It's also a challenge because, of course, you have to constantly reinvent the envelope and kind <laughs> of push it. Uh, so in that sense, you can't really slack off. Every time it's different, you have a different condition, different questions... Some of the stores are really in special situation, like the one on Anfulu on the corner.
1: Yes. And I'm not surprised to see architecture playing a bigger part in retail since it is all about the experience these days, correct?
2: Yeah, also I think for how you get the people in and, and get them to come in the first place because you can buy anything anywhere. And, yes. and it should be a place where people can come and hang out and be part of that community.
1: What about then other projects? Because I know that you're not just doing work in retail. Give me a quick uh, update on what you've been working on since we last caught up.
2: Um, well, we're doing also a few hotels. So we also did um, the Hyatt Unbound in Jingajen. We, we finished, that was also a very exciting project because it has all this story about all the exploration of the different types of pottery. And we try to work with that in the interior. So yeah, keeping busy for sure. That's good. In fact,
1: I haven't been to Jingdezhen before, so when I do, I'll definitely check out that hotel.
2: It's an interesting city to go for a weekend, and you can very easily get into the countryside, and there's a beautiful museum there also, and there's a lot of nice, interesting architecture happening at the moment.
1: Oh, there you go. Well, thank you for your time this morning. It's good to see you again, and before I let you go, of course, I will be putting this update at the back of the episode of the person who you referred for season three, which was our friend Kim Yong-ah.
2: Yes.
1: Have you managed to keep in touch with her and her husband?
2: Yes. And she's moving to Germany.
1: Yes. Well, she will be one of those people from the season who I did the interview. And since doing the interview, she has left China. There's actually quite a few like that. So
2: (laughs) So many people. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of sad also.
1: Well, I will still be here when you come back. So I look forward to seeing your smiley face on the street again. (laughs) Okay, let's catch up for a drink then. Good. In the meantime, thank you again.
2: Thank you.